You're listening to the e-commerce impact podcast, where we share the latest marketing strategies to grow your e-com store and have more impact. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. So this week we are covering a topic that I have been dying to get into with you all, SEO or search engine optimization. Now SEO I know is often overlooked in the world of direct to consumer e-commerce because it's seen as slow or sometimes really difficult. But this week's episode will hopefully dispel those myths for you. Our expert this week is Sam Wright from Blink SEO. Now Sam's been in the e-commerce world for over 20 years and his agency Blink specializes specifically in SEO for e-commerce and Shopify, which is a really specific kind of subsection of SEO. I think a lot of SEO agencies are very broad and they don't really know how to crack it for e-com brands. Sam is different. So his system that he's going to talk us through in the episode typically will increase organic site revenue for brands by 100%, which is really quite incredible. Um, And he can sometimes do this within a few months, depending on the brand. Um, And in many cases, he's even doubled total site revenue for brands in the space of a year just by getting the, the fundamentals right and applying his SEO system, which we're going to talk you through and you'll find out how you can apply it for yourself. So throw out all your assumptions about SEO being too difficult, too slow or really hard to get results from. I was amazed to discover with the right tweaks, you can unlock massive growth in organic revenue. So listen in to find out why SEO could be the secret to unlock, unlocking growth in your e-com store at a fraction of the cost of paid, paid ads. Find out how you're probably confusing Google and a simple way to fix it. Listen in to learn why category pages are the first pl- place to start with SEO for e-commerce and drive 60% of your revenue. And then finally, find out how you can get links that increase your ranking in a way that's much simpler than a lot of the experts and gurus out there might lead you to believe. So without further ado, let's jump into the pod. Hi, Sam, and welcome to the podcast. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. It's great to have you here. Why is SEO important for an e-com brand in 2022? Like, why should they be investing in this? What are the benefits? If they are working in a, in a category that people understand, that there's demands there, then really it should be your highest performing channel and yeah. you're delivering your best ROI as well. A company called Conjura that do data benchmarking for Shopify brands. Uh, we, we looked at the 5,000 odd sites in their system and saw that organic is the best performing channel. And that's something we see consistently. But it yeah. doesn't have anywhere near that kind of the investment that, that, that paid does. And I think a lot of that comes down to the length of time that it takes. There's this kind of understanding that the SEO takes a year to work. But I think a lot of that can be sped up. If you are a multi-category brand, for example, it doesn't need to take that long. We can really move the needle in three to six months in those instances. Wow. But a DTC brand with a small number of SKUs in a competitive category, that is one where it might take a year. And because you've got to work on it and you know, it's not just a case of scaling through adding more pages. So it's one of the best performing channels and yet people aren't investing in it because they're scared that they have to pay the money up front and it may not yield the results and it may take a long time. But actually what you're saying is that it can be quicker than people might think. But then I guess the second argument is, yes, it might take a year, but after that year has passed and you've done the work and you've done the investment, you've got free traffic, right? Whereas we're paid, what we're seeing is rising costs year over year over year. 
So yeah, I think that's a pretty strong argument for it. It sounds from chatting to you that it is tangibly possible to, for a, you know, a medium-sized e-com brand that invests properly to still win at search, right? We've got plenty of projects. We're doing case study at the moment, someone we've worked with for like six months. We've seen revenue increased by 200%, organic revenue by 500%. That's just from a category first approach you know wow the roi is so much is so much stronger in the, in the long run what roi would you expect we normally try and set a target of 100 percent increase in organic revenue by month 12 so on a monthly basis so our kind of normal retainer is around two and a half k uk if they're doing half a million a year from organic and you're doubling it <laughs> then that's a crazy good ROI, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we've got plenty of examples where that's happened. And it is, yeah, and it's entirely realistic in, in, in that time frame. So what specific steps should a D2C e-com brand be taking now if they want to be improving their SEO in, say, 6 to 12 months' time and, and starting to take advantage of that amazing free traffic that this channel offers? First of all, it's worth kind of making sure that the, all of the right things are in place. Really, yeah. it's about establishing that SEO is going to be an effective channel. It doesn't work for every business. The ones that it does work for is brilliant, but a lot of people get burned in this in this space by investing in this kind of thing when fundamentally it isn't right in the first place. Yeah, I think one of the first things that we look for is, you know, is a business generating any kind of sales from organic search. Okay. Uh, so what about if someone's generating, so if we have a brand, a D2C brand that's doing a good amount of sales from other channels, so they're doing well on Facebook, Facebook ads, they're getting good sales through influencers, PR, that kind of thing, but they just haven't established themselves in terms of SEO. How would you ask, like, you know, they just haven't put any effort into it, so they're not getting any sales from SEO. Yeah. How, what would be the case where they still would be a good fit for SEO and what would be the case where they wouldn't? How do you kind of ascertain yeah, whether it's going to work? So I think there, so not all of these channels are kind of the same. You know, they don't behave in the same way. They don't send the same kind of traffic. Facebook yeah. ads is, is product discovery. It's fundamentally different from search. Uh, yeah. Whereas Google ads is very, very similar. You know, yeah. you're, someone's typing in, something into Google and they're being pushed to a page or, yeah. or they're being shown an ad or as, or an organic result. It's basically it's yeah. the same thing. So, so they've woken up, they've woken up oh. in the morning and gone, I need this thing. They've mm. gone to Google and looked proactively for it. They know they need the thing or they know they have the problem. So Google ads then I guess is a good proxy for SEO. If the brand is able to get some sales through paid search and they haven't yet got anywhere with SEO, but they're doing well with paid search and it's generating sales. That would mean that they're potentially a brand that could do well with SEO, would you say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's a great fit. And the first thing we do is look at those those sales and see where they're coming from, what kind of things are people searching for. Yeah. That's, like, like that's the best kind of starting point. Yeah. Uh, because you, you can see how they're converting. Um, yeah. And that gives you a really good idea. Yeah. Because I always, I always make the distinction when I'm explaining it to people between, I always say search marketing, and that includes both paid search and SEO, yeah. is kind of like your yellow pages. So if you're a plumber or, you know, whatever your, you know, whatever your business is, no one's going to ring up the plumber until they've decided they need a plumber and they open up the yellow pages and look. So that's what search is, right? There has to be that need that already exists that they're looking for. And then I always say that 
Facebook ads or social ads are more like an infomercial. You're sitting there on the sofa, you didn't know you needed the thing. And then all of a sudden you've started thinking about buying this, like, I don't know, whatever it might be, an exercise bike that you didn't know you needed. So that's a good distinction. So some brands fit into both, don't they? So like we have a brand that sells baby mats. They're quite innovative and different baby mats, but they do amazing in search because people are getting pregnant. There's one born every minute. There's always people searching for baby mats. So search is great for them. So SEO would also be great for them. But Facebook ads works incredibly for them as well because the product's quite visual. People might have been thinking about a baby mat, but they haven't got around to buying one. And then they see this beautiful one and they buy it. So I think it's, yeah, that hopefully helps people understand whether they're a good fit for search or not. It's whether the problem exists, people are looking for it. So, okay, so that we've established that it exists. They're already making sales, so they know this product market fit. We're good to go. What are they, what are they doing next? Oh, yeah. But yeah, once we know that search is going to work, then it's like, is the, is the tracking right? I've not looked at any Shopify sites in the past eight months, probably, where Google Analytics has been configured correctly. There's no issues with reporting and all of the you know, like revenues not being reported to a payment gateway instead of organic or paid. You know, and this would be something that you come up with. I've worked on plenty of projects actually where they are making money from organic revenue. They just can't, it's just not being reported correctly. Mm -hmm. And that's not like in a attribution, like that's not in terms of attribution, like first versus last click. It's like, it's all being attributed to direct because of a payment gateway issue or something like that. And then really the strategy comes down to what kind of business you've got. If you've got a D2C brand with a small number of SKUs or one with a, a larger number, the, the kind of, the strategies are a little bit different. Mm -hmm. If, if there is a brand with a larger number of SKUs, our kind of recommendation is is creating category pages, essentially. A while back, we went through all of the clients that we've got in our data warehouse. So it's like 40, 50 projects, about half a million URLs. And we broke it down into page types like homepage, category, product, blog, other. And 60% of revenue is coming from category pages. So it's, they don't necessarily have a product in mind, but they've got a group of products that's, you know, it might be dishwashers, lawnmowers, remote control cars, not like particular remote control car or dishwasher. And that's why so much of our strategy is, is around category pages. And yes, the content is important there, but it's a very different type of content to that kind yeah. of. So it's not like writing this long detailed blog post necessarily anymore. It's more about making your category page, the best category page for the search term. And, and um, how do you do that? I think the body shop is a really good example of that in that they have all these kind of use cases. It's like shampoo for, fuzz, for frizzy hair or like, sh I think they've got a shop by my needs section, or something like that, which I always, mm -hmm. because it reflects how people are actually looking for things, not the categories that you would put them into across all different kinds of areas. You'll have all of these multi-category, like big, well-known retailers, and then a couple of specialists that are in there. And how? kind of real relevancy for a particular thing it can be an asset for sure building out those those category collection pages because that's where the, the demand is that that turns into revenue yeah uh, and that's one of the quickest ways to grow as well because you're not you're competing for kind of less competitive terms and it's normally a case of getting the pages up um, with a certain period of time you can you can see some quite good results 
Now there's some complexities around Shopify with this when you start to have a larger number of categories. We talk about faceted navigation quite a lot, which is a way of kind of layering these categories internally. And Shopify's native way of doing it, is it just doesn't work for, for SEO. Mm -hmm. You end up just showing loads of filters as, as opposed to pages and mm. you tell what's going on with the filter. So we, you know, we've had to kind of engineer some stuff in internally to allow us to, to kind of organize that stuff. So it works for both from the user and, and search engines. It's different on Shopify too, because it's much easier to build out those kind of navigations and have more control over them. Mm -hmm. but in Shopify one, it's, it's more complicated. Well, yeah. we should have an app out for it in, in, shortly, which would be fun. Uh, so yeah, that would be the strategy if you've got enough categories to be able to, or enough, if you can combine your products in enough new categories to do it, or you can launch new products as well. Yeah. So an example being, let's if we think about the baby mats, it would be like round baby mats, small baby mats, large baby mats. New ones, waterproof. Like, obviously, you need to do a bit of research and, and kind of validate it. There's no point spinning out thousands and thousands of categories that there's absolutely no demand for but you know you can validate this through keyword planner or like even though search volumes a bit of a rubbish metric but there are ways that you can get a feel for for whether there is there is demand there well if you're running paid search heavily then you'd have some really good data wouldn't you that you could trust yeah an internal search is a good one as well that, yeah that can be Good. And also, you know, there are lots of people that have their like have their whole sites organized in ways like this anyway. But with that filtering, that means that search engine can't can't tell. find it. Yeah. So how would how would a, a typical DTC Shopify store that maybe has five or six products? They might have a sort of hero product and then some related products that they've rolled out subsequently. What what's the strategy in that kind of case? It's really interesting because we've got a few of those projects on on the go at the moment. Um, so in terms of the kinds of pages that rank well, it's normally a category, like a traditional category page with product on it that's top and tailed with content. You know, so your standard yeah. like collections, collections all on, on Shopify. Do you use the standard Shopify collection page, which has like, you know, the blurb at the top where you can fill it in, pulls in the products based on, you know, whatever products you've selected, or are you building specific pages that meet your needs better? I mean, it, it depends on the site, really. We've got a kind of standard template that we use for a category page because so we know it's got all of the bits in that work. Uh, whether we do that on collections or, or, you know, another category depends on how long the site's been around, what the structure is, whatever. But, but really, you, you choose one of them. In the kind of cases you're talking about, quite often it'll be the homepage competing with the category page or yeah. the or product competing with both of them or, or one or one or other. And it's, then it's about a case trying to create a really clear signal about which is the most important page around. Right. So you're, it means you're diluting. So you're competing with yourself for that top spot. So the three main pages on your site that could be relevant. Yeah. Competing with each other to, to get a spot in Google and you're trying to concentrate it on one page. I think the, the whole idea of competing with pages, I, I try and think of it as like Google's just a computer script and you've got to make it as clear as possible. And anything that confuses that creates possibilities for, for things to go wrong. Try and make things as clear as possible. And, and yeah, 
focus on one specific thing and then that, yeah, where you tend to see the best, best results. How are you making that clear? Okay. So in the, in this example, we've got a DTC brand with, so they're selling one hero product and a few variations. So effectively you've got a homepage that's all about pretty much going to be around about the hero product, a collections page, which is pretty much about it and a product. Typically the page that will rank best for it is the collections page, because that's a typical e-commerce page. That's what people expect when they, when they put in a transactional term is a page with a few products. So if product page is 2000 words long with loads of reviews, loads of the signals like links and things are going to the homepage that it's, it's pretty mixed. Mm-hmm. It becomes a case of how, how can we tell Google that we want the collections page to be, to be the one. Um, yeah. that's normally, yeah, like just making the content incredibly clear, getting your internal link structure, right. So that's generally a strategy that you would do for e-coms, whether they're large or small, lots of SKUs or not, find the keywords you're wanting to rank for and making sure there's a clear category page for all of those that's been signaled to Google through the content that's on it, through your link structure, that that is the page that they should serve up when people search. So that means expanding the content on it, you know, making it really, really clear that that is you know, the, the, the core page. At that point, we'd probably be looking at driving links to that specific category page. An external website. So the idea that is that having relevant quality sites linked to yours is, is a signal to Google that the page is, is important. And I think people really struggle with doing that for category pages because they're commercial in intent. That, you know, how, how do you... How do you get someone to link to one of your, your sales pages, essentially? Yeah. How do you? For D2C brands, just like product roundups for, mm. uh, for journalists, you know, contact all of the newspapers that are doing a best baby mats application and say, would you like a baby mat? That is, that is the, t- like the tactic. It, it yeah. works. Product PR well. essentially in a nutshell. Things are important. They're a strong signal for a lot of D2C brands. You know, it's actually quite simple to do link building just by doing product roundups, product reviews, sending out samples to journalists. Typically a D2C brand is D2C for a reason and it's solving some kind of problem or like meeting some kind of need that lends itself quite well to those kind of, those kind of articles. It's, it's work. Unfortunately, everything is work and it's, it's, you know, it, it's very hard to do, to, to get any kind of real results without, without effort, unfortunately. Yeah. And also, um, but that's a good thing, right? I always remind people this because. If it takes you work and you do the work and your competitor does not do the work, then you've kind of created a moat around your business where you've done that work that's hard that they're not willing to do. And so now you've got SEO positioning that they don't have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cool. Okay. Well, that makes sense. It sounds like the process is fairly straightforward. It takes some effort on the technical side. It takes some effort on the kind of creating the right kind of page and the right kind of content. And then it takes some, some sustained effort, getting those external links pointing at the, at the right page, but all very doable. Yeah. I mean, for most businesses, improving your category pages is a good thing to do regardless of search. And so, so it's not going to, yeah, it's not like it's stuff that isn't a good idea in the first place. Yeah. And then also. Telling people about your business is probably not a bad thing. Yeah. 
as well. So <laughs> those product like... roundups are not going to hurt you, are they? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes. Okay, interesting. And so, is blogging still worth doing for a brand for, for SEO purposes? Like, as long as you clearly articulate how you solve the problem. Yes. And yeah. I think that's where... Top of the funnel content. That's where that stuff can work really, really well. Yeah. A lot of people waste a lot of money on it. Yeah. And a lot of time. Actually, this is something we, we spend quite a lot of time doing something called content pruning, where we'll just go through and remove anything that's not getting any traffic or any value just to... And what's the purpose of that? Like, surely it's better to have more content than less. So not actually. The web is full of rubbish. And again, if we think that the search engine is just a script that's trying to work out what your site is about, the more noise you've got on there that's not particularly around the things that it's about, you know, it, it creates that kind of confusion. So you're pruning out the stuff that's like random and irrelevant and kind of confusing Google about the core, the core topic that yeah, you want yeah, to rank for. If everyone's read it for a year, then it can probably go. That's pretty, you know, that's one good signal. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, the relevancy thing is, is, is so important. You know, if your site is selling, I don't know, wine glasses, for example, and you've got content on there, something that like cardboard boxes or whatever, you know, it's just, it creates, it's a, you know, it, you start to lose that kind of, that relevancy. Yeah. I think it does, it's not necessarily bad from a brand perspective either. It's better to be about one thing and do it well, rather than, you know, lots of other things that, and not do them particularly well. And does SEO still involve these days, like doing keyword research, identifying the key phrases you want to rank for, tracking over time how you rank for them? Is that stuff still happening? It is. I think what we find, though, is it's about making small adjustments based on that data. That's the thing that really makes a difference. And that's why we spend so much time on the, the data engineering side of things. So talk to me about that. So Search Console is pretty much where most people will be getting their understanding of what terms they're ranking for. You can go in there and you can see what terms are triggering clicks. Now, a lot of that data is only accessible if you, if you use an API. So if you use an API, basically you get all of it. If you go in the web app, you get some of it. Right. So if Google's sampling it and just giving you a little taste of the data, but not the full. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of data that's missing from search console, even when you do use the API connection. So there's an under reporting typically of around 50% clicks are not being, you know, you don't see which keywords there, they go, the clicks are, are triggering. I remember back in the day, we could actually see in Google analytics, all the keywords that triggered, that triggered organic search traffic. Then one day around about, I don't know, 15 years ago, 12 years ago. Google just said, nope, we're not going to give that data to you anymore. So you're saying to me by using an API, you can get a lot of that data back. Is that right? Some of it. 50% um, of it. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to a degree. Now, actually what you're talking about, um, is there's a really interesting product out there called Keyword Hero. Um, yeah. and we've, we've used them before and have come back to it recently, basically on the back of our own data work because the methodology that they use to replace that data is actually really interesting. What they do is bring together a whole bunch of different data sources and then do some maths that I won't go into here to kind of predict which keywords, you know, are, tr are triggering revenue. So what we're yeah. working on doing at the moment is pulling that into our data warehouse along with the search console data and then 
some other rank tracking API data as well, because search console's position tracking is a bit weird and then stitching it all together. So we can get something that's probably not quite as good as what you would get from a PPC campaign, but like a million times better than. Wow. Yeah. We're, and the benefit to that is getting back what Google took away all those years ago, which is actually knowing what keywords are really bringing traffic in. So you can see what the, the effect of your efforts and what's working and what's not. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. I mean, it's not going to be a hundred percent, but even if it's 70%, then that's better yeah. than nothing. So where can we follow and find you? So I'm on LinkedIn. Sam Wright on LinkedIn. Website as well. www.blinksto.co.uk. Um, cool. We'll put those in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks for coming along. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us here on the e-commerce impact podcast. If I can ask you one favor, can you please make sure you subscribe? And if you can leave us a review, it helps us have a much bigger impact with what we're trying to do here at the e-commerce impact podcast. Now, if you're ready to take your e-com store to the next level, then go to www.ecommerceimpactpodcast.com and click on the button to book a strategy call with me and my team. We offer a free order of your advertising and a custom growth plan. So you really have nothing to lose by getting in touch and jumping on the call with us. See you soon and watch out for the next episode in two weeks time.